As we continue through Isaiah, we are now in Isaiah chapter 13. And we see where God, speaking through Isaiah, gives this prophecy concerning Babylon. Babylon. We've been seeing how throughout Isaiah leading to this point where God has said he is going to use Babylon to bring his judgment against Jerusalem, against Judea. And uh, this is where we're going to see God using them to bring about his just judgment. But then we've also seen, already stated in Isaiah, that God will then also judge Babylon. He's going to bring judgment against Babylon. Because though Babylon is carrying out God's just wrath against the people of Israel, Babylon is not doing this in obedience to God. It's not doing this in an understanding that it is submitting to God's will. Babylon is doing it in its own pride and arrogance and its own unjust wrath. God is just. He is sovereign. And he uses the means of Babylon. God does not sin, nor can he sin, nor lead into sin. Yet here we see again God's sovereignty and Babylon being held responsible for their sin. So we're seeing here now in Isaiah 13 God's pronouncement on sure judgment against Babylon. But as we see in Isaiah 13, as we're going to look at our scriptures, Babylon in the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially in Revelation, is representative of the world, the fallen world. That's what Babylon comes to stand for. So Isaiah chapter 13, starting at verse 1. You can find us on page 687 in the Bible's Reviving Chairs. Isaiah 13, an oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Shout to them, beckon to them to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath. Those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountaintops like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They have come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. Verse 9. 
See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened, the moon, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophrah. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, each will return to his own people, each will flee to his native land. Whoever is captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes, their houses will be looted, and their wives ravished. See, I will stir up against them the Medes, who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flocks there. But the desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill her houses. There the owls will dwell, and there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will howl in her strongholds, jackals in her luxurious, luxurious palaces. Her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O oh, Father, We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding. That you'd give us discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you would guide us in your truth. For to know your truth is to know your Son, Jesus Christ. And to know your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. So, Father, we pray that you would just guide us through your Spirit at this time in your word, and that your son would be high and lifted up. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. As we've been walking through Isaiah, we've seen this back and forth in Isaiah where God displays an amazing, uncomprehensible grace that's what we just looked at in Isaiah chapter 12. 
In Isaiah chapter 12, it talks about the Lord and his strength, that he is our salvation. Isaiah 12, it talks about God's anger being turned away. Isaiah 12, verse 1. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. As we saw this great truth in Isaiah, this this mystery that Isaiah keeps laying out, that God will show grace and mercy to a remnant. And not only is this remnant of the people of Israel, but there is a remnant. There, there, there is a people that God is making a new nation of every tribe, language, people. And God is saving. And this gospel, as Isaiah 12 goes forth, this good news, this truth of salvation in God will, will go forth to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, nation, and language, as God is creating one new people who will know Him, who will love Him, and who will come to worship Him as their Lord and Savior. So again, here we see this amazing statement of the grace of God and the gift of salvation, and and that God will turn His anger away from the elect. And instead of anger and wrath and fury, we'll give them grace, love, mercy. And we looked at that last week, and that happens because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Christ receives the wrath that we deserve. On the cross, Jesus takes the sin and he pays the full penalty of our sin so that God could forsake and pour out his wrath and pour out his just anger on his son who's the substitute on our behalf so that then by his grace we receive his love his mercy his forgiveness that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us so that we can stand in holiness and righteousness before God but as Isaiah does, it will, Isaiah will preach the most amazing statement of God's good news and grace concerning about in that day, and then write the next chapter. God also speaks of the other aspect of in that day. In that day. And that's where we saw here in chapter 13 and how the focus here begins with Babylon. But then you can see the scope widens out. So in Isaiah chapter 13, we see where Isaiah's prophecy turns from the people of Israel and now is given to Babylon. Babylon. It is an amazing statement because Babylon to this point has been the instrument, God has said will be the instrument of his just wrath, but Babylon itself will face destruction because Babylon 
is a sinful nation of sinful people. And the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 13, we're going to see these themes woven together. So again, if you look in verse 3, verses 3 through 5, we see where God is lifting up that he is now, after Babylon has fulfilled its purpose in bringing judgment against Israel, Babylon itself will face judgment and destruction. And you can see in verses 3 through 5, God is making it clear he is the one who brings ultimate justice. He's the one. He is the judge over all that he has made. So you see in verse 3 where it says, I myself, God is speaking, I myself have commanded my holy ones. Now, now the Medes and Persians, he isn't saying that they are, are holy and that they are righteous. When he says his consecrated ones are his holy ones, he's saying that God is going to set apart the Medes and the Persians, to be the instrument of his wrath against Babylon as Babylon was the instrument of his wrath against Israel. So that's what, what is being stated with his consecrated ones, the Medes and the Persians. And he talks about the reason why he is mustering them is to execute his anger. Again, verse 4, the Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. In verse 5, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. A parallel passage to what we find here in Isaiah 13 is in Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. So if you would go to Jeremiah 51, we're going to look at some key things in verses 6 through 11, and then verses 47 through 49. So this is a parallel passage where we find the prophet Jeremiah speaking almost word for word the same themes concerning Babylon. And then we're going to see where Jeremiah begins broadening this out to God's judgment against all wickedness and all sinners. So Jeremiah 51 starting at verse 6. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. So this has been the theme already in Isaiah, is God will bring a vengeance. He will repay Babylon for her wickedness. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 51. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Verse 8. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. And then you go down to verse 11. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. So again, just as Isaiah 13 is stating. 
because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it, for that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Now that's a very important statement. Let me read that again. Jeremiah 51, verse 11. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. I was starting to see this this theme here and this statement being portrayed through the prophet Isaiah and through the prophet Jeremiah. That God is allowing these things to take place. God is sovereign. And in his sovereign will and plan, he is allowing these things and working and bringing about these things to come to the point for the cross. Remember, everything is leading to the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything, all of creation, all of history is leading to that moment where the Son of God will be crucified. And what we see in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ are the attributes of God, are the will and the plan and ways of God. On the cross of Jesus Christ, we see God's, God's love, His grace, His forgiveness for the elect, for those who will trust and believe in Him. And on the cross, we see God's holy, just wrath on sin and sinners. So when we hear these statements of, in Jeremiah 51 of vengeance and of wrath and of fury, it is because God is holy. God is holy. And the only way that we can be in a right standing before God is if we also are holy. And we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to be in that right place. We need a Savior. So what we're seeing here in Isaiah 13 and in Jeremiah 51, and as we continue, we're seeing what takes place for those who are not saved, who do not enter into the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ, who do not come to faith. And it is a terrifying, terrifying sight for those who are outside of the grace of God. Jeremiah 51 continues. Jeremiah 51, starting at verse 47. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Verse 48, Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon. For the destroyers shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Verse 49, Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel 
just as for Babylon, have fallen the slain of all the earth. So here we're seeing Jeremiah. Now he's talking of Babylon, not just in terms of the nation of Babylon, but as Babylon representing all the fallen systems of this world. Remember, Ephesians 2 talks about our three enemies. Our fallen flesh, our corrupted nature, where we are conceived in sin, the total depravity of who we are, unless we are made alive in Jesus Christ. We see the the enemy of the devil, the small g god of this world, the, the, the one who is trying to devour and, and tempt and to destroy. And we also see in Ephesians 2 the world, this world system, these nations and powers around us that are corrupted through sin and that are in direct opposition to God and his truth. It's more than just this one nation. It's also a symbol for all the powers and principalities of this fallen world. And they will come into judgment. Again, as I said earlier, Isaiah makes it clear. Earlier in Isaiah, we looked at these very important verses. Isaiah chapter 2, where it talks about Israel. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So what will happen in the day of the Lord? So man will be humbled. Each one is brought low. In verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord. And from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That's the key. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. At the return of Christ, Christ is in all glory, power, and authority. Christ is high and lifted up. Christ is displayed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And either those who are in Christ, who have longed for his appearing, who know him as their Savior, who know him as their life, either we will rejoice and fall before him in worship and adoration. Or those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who have continued in rebellion and opposition to the truth of who Christ is. They will enter into rock and dust and cave and cry out that the mountains would cover them. That they would not see the wrath and the fury of a holy God. That's what Revelation 6 does. Revelation 6 goes to Isaiah 2 and goes to Isaiah 13 and weaves these two things together. Revelation 6, it talks about this great day and these are the same 
themes that we see in Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 speaks of this coming day of judgment where the sun, the stars, sun and moon will not give light and where the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Where everything is laid bare before God. Revelation 6, again, takes from Isaiah 2 and takes this imagery from Isaiah 13 and weaves it together concerning God's just wrath. Revelation 6, starting at verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. This is where we see in Isaiah 13 where it says the stars and the sun and the moon will not give any light. The heavens and earth will be shaken. Revelation 6 verse 14. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Verse 15, what what is the response of the unredeemed? What is the response of the unsaved? It is verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? This is the theme we see emerging of God's holy, just wrath and his judgment. That's what's stated here. Yes, this prophecy is concerning Babylon, but it's pointing ahead to the ultimate judgment. When Christ will stand and be high and lifted up. Because as we see in Isaiah 13, this is more than just about Babylon. It's about Babylon, but far more. Because if you look at verses 11 through 12 of Isaiah 13, it says this. God says, I will punish the world, not just Babylon, the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put it into all pomp and arrogance and pride. That's why it should be no surprise that Revelation, when it speaks of the day of God's judgment, where his wrath and his holy indignation and fury is poured out on sinners and wicked and unbelievers, that it would be spoken of as Babylon. So if you look at Revelation 18, we see a parallel and we see where where God reveals to John, the apostle John, This imagery of God's judgment, his ultimate judgment on sin and sinners, on wickedness and those who continue to rebel against him. 
And we see where, again, Babylon is the representative. So Revelation 18, it says this, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Why? Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then 18 goes through. It talks about the kings weeping and wailing. That Babylon, this great Babylon, which was their everything, faces judgment. And the merchants, they mourn and weep because they benefited so much from the luxurious things of this earth from Babylon. And the shipmasters weep and wail because that was everything of their, of their money and their fame and their wealth was, was the sin and immorality, the, the marketing of debauchery that comes out of Babylon for every nation, tribe, and people. The wickedness of Babylon symbolizes this entire corrupt world in all its rebellion, in all its idolatry, in all its immorality. And we see where the unbelieving, rebellious kings and merchants and shipmasters, slave or free, wealthy or poor, it doesn't matter what, what societal class or economic standing or background, every sinner who is not saved, will look upon the coming judgment of Babylon and weep and mourn because this world was everything to them. That the things of this world was everything for them. And that they were gods of their own life. But in contrast to this weeping and wailing and mourning, Verse 20, but who rejoices when God ultimately brings his judgment against all that is wicked, all that is rebellious, and all that is wrong? Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Twenty-one. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and we be found no more. And then it goes on down to verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. It is a tremendous comfort to know that God will judge justly. The New Testament and the Old Testament continues to lift it up that it is a part of our hope and a part of our comfort 
to know that wickedness will ultimately be judged. God is holy and just. So when we see what will happen to Babylon, what will happen to this fallen world, what will happen to every rebellious sinner who refuses to believe in Christ, we see the horrors and the terrors Again, I take you to Revelation. I take you to Revelation 14. As Revelation 14 summarizes this understanding. Revelation 14 ultimately picks the eternal fulfillment of Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, again, speaks of two Babylons. It speaks of the nation Babylon that will receive its judgment, but more broadly it speaks of the fallen world that Babylon represents that will experience its judgment. Revelation 14, starting at verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. As Deuteronomy 4 says, our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, and God's holy just wrath being poured out on Babylon as a representative of all disobedient, unbelieving, rebellious people, that this torment isn't for a time. That it is forever. Hell is eternal conscious torment of God's holy just wrath being poured out. It is a terror. It is a horror unimaginable. That's why, again, when we consider the wrath and fierce anger of God, again, as we looked at some of these passages at Good Friday service, we better understand what it means when Jesus prayed in the garden. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. 
but not my will. Your will be done. The cup that Jesus drinks for the elect, for those who will believe and trust in Him, is the cup of this eternal, holy, just wrath and fury of God in His vengeance. To diminish that is to diminish the work of Christ on the cross. To take away from that is to take away from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But to lift that up, to understand what it means that Jesus drank of God's wrath so that we would not have to. is a part of those wells of salvation. Remember Isaiah 12? It says, draw upon the wells of salvation in God. And those are some of the deepest, most wonderful waters in the wells of salvation. Is to know that God so loved the world that He would send His Son so that though we deserve the wrath and fury and anger of God because of our sin, that because of Jesus Christ instead, we receive love and grace and mercy. So on the day of judgment, you have this depiction as we see in Isaiah 13. And Isaiah 13 uses graphic imagery of running through, of dashing heads. It's trying to capture what it means to have all blessing, all love, all grace removed. No mercy. That's why Isaiah 13 uses such imagery. That's why Jesus Christ, when He speaks of hell and judgment, uses such imagery of fire, of darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, because the reality of it is far worse than what any words can capture. So if we look at Isaiah 12 that we looked at last week and look at Isaiah 13, we see on that great day of the Lord, the ultimate judging all that is represented by Babylon. But there's two forms of weeping. There's the weeping and gnashing of teeth of those who will be eternally condemned. And there will be no relief. No comfort. It will be pain and horror and fire and fury forever and ever and ever. Yet, for those who are in Jesus Christ, For those who are in Jesus Christ. It says God himself. Will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more pain. No more sorrow. No more sin. So as we think of the realities of Isaiah 12. In Isaiah 13, 
if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, <laughs> run to Him. Run to Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. For He has made a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. But if you are in Jesus Christ, rather than in eternal weeping and wailing, if you are in Jesus Christ, every tear is wiped away. That is the gospel. And that is the reality of Isaiah chapter 12 and Isaiah chapter 13. Let us go to God in prayer. Oh, Father, again, as we, as we consider your holy, just wrath, as we consider the the horrors and torments of eternal hell. As we consider your loving hand, wiping the tears of your children, whom you have adopted in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, there is no other response than worship. There is no other true response than gratitude. You have done everything. You are our life. Father, we pray that you would enable us to lift up your name. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.